Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investment, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. LinkedIn data is showing that renewables and environment sector jobs will outnumber oil and gas jobs in total on our platform by 2023, which is this year. We have a small central team, but we are embedding a sustainability champion across each of the business groups so that they can move their teams to make the green decisions that are relevant for them in finance, in product design, in manufacturing, in our supplier group. Really, environmental sustainability at the end has to become everybody's responsibility in the company, and they need to have that front of mind. And you don't have to go it alone. So many more companies are jumping on board now. You talk to your peers. Hey, folks. The race to address climate change is creating a whole lot of opportunity and a whole lot of work. Just to offer a sense of the scale, in the United States, the Inflation Reduction Act is expected to create 9 million new jobs. This is on top of an already booming climate job market. And climate isn't just tackled through newly created jobs, but also through new climate responsibilities within existing jobs. To learn more about the world of climate work, I sat down with two experts. Peggy Brannigan and Ellen Weinreb. Peggy is the Director of Global Environmental Sustainability at LinkedIn, where she has access to perhaps the world's best database of climate-related jobs. Ellen is the founder of Weinreb Group, a recruiting firm that is focused on filling sustainability and ESG leadership roles for over 10 years. Together, Peggy and Ellen provide a fascinating glimpse into the green job market, how it's evolved in recent years, the skills that are most needed, and of course, advice for hiring teams and job seekers. So whether you're looking for a job, looking to hire people, or just trying to anticipate the skills you'll need for the future, this episode should be helpful to you. Enjoy. Peggy and Ellen, welcome to Invest in Climate. So great to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Well, Ellen, I know that you are in Berkeley nearby. Peggy, are you in the Bay Area as well? Yes, I'm down in the Silicon Valley. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining today. We've got a lot to talk about and really a a hot and interesting topic for so many people because climate jobs are definitely in demand and we're here to learn about the trends and understand the marketplace a bit more. We've got plenty of time to dive into the specifics. So let's first just get an understanding of where you're coming from and then we could turn to what you're seeing. Ellen, will you kick us off and just tell us a bit about the work that you do? Sure. I own a boutique search firm, Weinrib Group, that places corporate sustainability leaders and their teams. Fantastic. And what drew you to work in sustainability initially? 
Well, I've been working in the sustainability field for 20 years. I was a consultant after business school, and I got a taste of what the corporate world was like through my clients like Hewlett Packard and Levi Strauss. And then I realized that my superpower is connecting people. And so I decided to connect employers to employees by starting my own search firm. And that was 15 years ago. Great. Peggy, what about you? Yes, I lead global environmental sustainability at LinkedIn. And that means I have two responsibilities. First, I lead a cross-company program to implement our three climate pledges for carbon, water, and waste. And then secondly, I'm working with our product and engineering teams to launch sustainability solutions on our platform. Great. And how long have you been working in sustainability and what drew you to the field? Like Ellen, I've been working in sustainability for about 20 years. And at some of that time in Europe, I worked with the U.S. Department of State and the International School of Amsterdam and GRI, which many of the listeners will know is the Global Reporting Initiative. But really, you know, what drew me to sustainability began in in early days. I remember as a young girl scout helping with cleanups at our local parks, and it just kind of took off from there. Well, thank you both. We're going to move from learning about your backgrounds to now talking about the job market overall. And the job market, it's it's a topic that's always in the news. Throughout the pandemic, we heard about increasing wages and staff shortages. Then last year, we started hearing about layoffs, especially in the tech sector. That's the broader sort of macro context. For our conversation today, we're going to, of course, focus on climate jobs. Peggy, LinkedIn has perhaps more data and better data on the job market than any other company that I can think of. Uh, And you regularly scrutinize that data and publish reports based off of what you're learning. Before we get into the specifics for climate, help us first just understand what LinkedIn calls the economic graph. What kind of data do you use? And more broadly, what's the value you hope to create by sharing this data? Yeah, LinkedIn's economic graph is a digital view of the entire global economy. It's based on anonymized data from LinkedIn's 900 million members, which probably includes the three of us, and all the millions of job postings and company profiles and other information that's on our site. So our economists and our data science scientists analyze the trends they're seeing in terms of skills, occupations, and industries, They can benchmark trends and they can compare labor markets across the world. And what do we do with this data? Uh, We help government and business leaders use these real-time data insights to inform their policy decisions and to prepare their global workforces for these jobs that we see are evolving into the future. And I just want to note that over the last couple of years, we've built a really strong green economy taxonomy. It's kind of a a deeper lens on all this data. And our economic graph team is, is sharing insights now about how the whole global economy is transitioning toward greater sustainability. That's the really good news. And these insights can help our customers and members, professionals, stay current and know what's important in terms of being marketable, and they can share their own work in progress on our platform. Thanks, Peggy. So without building up much more suspense, let's dive into some of the details and and better understand the climate job 
market. And you mentioned that there's an ongoing growth of the need for green skills. But how has this changed in recent years? And what does it look like today? Well, I'm so excited to share this with all of you because I personally find it very encouraging. What the data is showing us is that many industries are adding new types of green jobs, but we're also seeing increasing requirements for green skills for existing type of jobs. So as a result, we're seeing growth in both traditional green job categories and in what we call the greening of other functions. And just to dive a little deeper into that, our data shows that the sectors with the biggest demand for green skills globally right now are corporate services. That could include accounting, finance, reporting, marketing services, et cetera, manufacturing, energy and mining, public administration, and construction. So you can really see just by that list of the top skills that it really cuts across a whole bunch of different industry groups. Fantastic to see that it really is a broad section of the economy ranging from corporate services to construction. But then what are the skills or what are the actual roles that you're seeing and and that companies are looking for? We kind of break that out into two types of roles when we talk about green. The first is traditional roles like mine, traditional green roles that have grown the fastest in the past five years, and it's been over 25% growth, are environmental health and safety, all kinds of levels of specialist to head of the group, sustainability manager, and energy manager. But then when we widen our scope, we see that the fastest growing Greening jobs, also growing at a rate of about 25%, include director of public works and power generation engineer, extension agent, thermal engineer, and um, processing engineering manager. So you can see many of those tied to infrastructure and, and agriculture. One other important signal I really do want to call out here that our data shows in the United States. LinkedIn data is showing that renewables and environment sector jobs will outnumber oil and gas jobs in total on our platform by 2023, which is this year. And that's based on the fact that in the last five years, the number of renewables and environment jobs in the United States has increased by 237%, which is massive. In, in stark contrast to the 19% increase for oil and gas jobs. Wow, that is a strong signal and definitely paints the picture of the future that we want to live in. And tell us about geography. Is the green economy growing everywhere? You mentioned that renewable energy job growth is very strong in the United States, but I'm curious, even within the United States, are there geographies that are creating more climate jobs than others? And do you have a sense of what's driving that growth? Yeah, we can look at that too with our data because we have you know, actually more members now outside the U.S. than in the U.S. So the big picture is good news. Our data shows strong green economy growth across the world, even in regions that are reliant on fossil fuels. Now, we do see some regional variation. In some parts of the world, both renewable energy and fossil fuel-related job growth are occurring simultaneously and probably at about the same rate. In other parts of the world, renewables are growing faster. And then the types of green jobs, 
will vary by industry now because it's often connected to the industries that are already in that place in that geography. So, for example, electric vehicle skills grew most in in areas that were highly concentrated already with robust automotive manufacturing presence. It's important that government policy does have a significant impact on green economic job growth. We can use the EV example again. In markets that have used incentives from the government to drive electric vehicle demand, we're seeing faster growth in EV skills in those populations. Great. And presumably, we'll start seeing the impact of things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which I know there's been accounting that shows that it will create millions of jobs over the next decade. And I'm sure at the state level, you also see that as well in the United States. Yeah. And the growth in climate jobs continued strong year over year, even though during the pandemic, our platform saw a general dip in hiring, but not a dip in climate jobs. Peggy, thank you for that 30,000-foot view. I think really illuminating and encouraging to understand the overall trends, both in terms of growth as well as the geographies and the trends and the skills that are needed. Ellen, let's turn to you and really be able to zoom in into a particular segment within the green job growth. You focus particularly on ESG and sustainability leaders. Let's get started first just by breaking down the jargon. What is ESG and how is it different from sustainability in your view? Well, some people use ESG and sustainability interchangeably, but there are distinctions. For example, ESG is largely used in the financial markets with investors. It stands for environmental, social, and governance. And it's a reporting framework that is easily understood and aligns with the corporate goals. Sustainability, on the other hand, is more reference to the triple bottom line, our people, planet, and profit. And that reflects a comprehensive way of talking about the interconnectedness of these issues. Great. And your work focuses on recruiting leaders in, in both of those categories. Is that right? That's correct. We have two types of clients, one in the corporate sector and the other in the finance sector. So in the corporate sector, that's including brands like Estee Lauder and Mars. And then in the finance sector, our clients are, for example, KKR and Bain Capital. So it's more private equity than finance, broadly speaking. And Ellen, you said that you've been working in this role for about 15 years. Tell us a bit about how you've seen the job market for ESG and sustainability leaders evolve in over that time period. Yeah, we've been in the search business for, as you said, 15 years, and we have also been researching this jobs market for 15 years. Our research focuses on the profession. We partner with GreenBiz on their state of the profession report that comes out every two years. And then we also do research on chief sustainability officers. So we're looking at those corporate leaders who hold the title chief sustainability officer. And so our research is with data numbers that are in the hundreds. And I just want to praise LinkedIn for their 900 million members and what a tremendous opportunity that is from a from a research perspective. So going back to our research with our data numbers in, in the hundreds, we've seen a lot of market influences that have really shifts in the job market. And there are three main shifts that we've seen, or I'd say drivers of change. One is diversity. So that's clients that are looking for 
a diverse slate of candidates. We found when we started our work 15 years ago that the majority of the sustainability leaders were white and male. And now we're actually finding the majority of the sustainability leaders and the professionals are female and white. So there's room for improvement on the diversity front. And our clients are asking us to present a slate of candidates that are diverse that helps move that forward. And then also number two is the investor pressure. So investors are driving corporate action. And that's what we're hearing from our sustainability leaders. And number three is regulatory pressures. They're largely global, more in Europe than in the U.S., but in the U.S. there's the SEC's proposed climate rule that would require companies to disclose on their climate change numbers. And so we're seeing those as drivers for change and how it's um, evolved over time. That's really interesting to hear that you're seeing job growth result from investor pressure and regulatory pressure. And that brings us to the role of disclosures and reporting. There was a big headline a couple years back when PwC, one of the big four accounting firms and one of the largest professional services companies in the world, announced a $12 billion plan to hire 100,000 ESG professionals over the following five years. And perhaps that points to the need for disclosures and accounting and reporting, but let's talk about the size of that commitment for a second. What does a commitment like that illustrate for you? Well, it's a big announcement, and I really praise the accounting firms for their role in growing the pipeline of talent. There's clearly a demand for ESG and sustainability professionals who have leadership experience and subject matter expertise, either very specifically like around climate change or biodiversity. And this announcement and their commitment to hiring these large numbers of individuals really is a commitment by these consulting firms to grow the pipeline of talent. So, of course, it's not just accounting firms. And Ellen, from a look at your website, it's clear the range of companies that are looking for ESG talents. You mentioned Estee Lauder, also saw KKR, Mars, Wrigley, to Owen Corning. And so I'm curious, with your vantage point across these industries, what are the different skills that you're seeing to be in greatest demand? The breadth of these roles in the space has evolved considerably over the last, even I'd say five years. There's been two main growth areas. One is the team sizes have grown and then also the specialized knowledge is is a requirement. So in terms of the team size, our data has shown that the average team has grown from let's say four, 10 years ago to eight, that would be um, the team size, the sustainability team. There are plenty of companies, let's say Amazon and Apple that have hundreds of people that are devoted to sustainability. And there's also um, companies that have a team size of one. And then also the specialized knowledge is now required and our clients are asking us to do searches that are very specific. So they're asking for, let's say, climate change or biodiversity, as I had shared before. And it has to, our packaging, sustainable packaging, and also legal and compliance are all specializations. So it used to be that companies and our clients wanted sustainability generalists, and now they really need these specialists. Thanks, Ellen. Peggy, skills are something that your data covers, and you gave a high-level view of it before, but let's go a level deeper. 
According to LinkedIn's data, what skills are most sought after for climate work today? Is it specialist skills like Ellen was just describing or more generalist skills? Yeah, so moving beyond the scope of Ellen's work with, you know, sustainability-focused jobs, what we see on our platform is that most green skills across the platform are being used in jobs that aren't traditionally thought of as green. So there's growth in both areas, but it's not just, you know, sustainability experts or teams or solar panel installers or wind turbine technicians. It's across the board. It's fleet managers, data scientists, healthcare workers. And in the same vein, the fastest growing green skills across the board on our platform are in ecosystem management, environmental policy, and pollution prevention. And if you think about those three, that makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, addressing climate issues in the ecosystem and then reporting, measuring, managing for mitigation and adaptation. I actually saw that LinkedIn reported that people with what you call green skills are hired faster than people without them. And the data that I saw showed that it's 1.5 times faster. Help us unpack what that means. Yeah, so we saw that green hiring was about 80% higher than other hiring happening on our platform two years ago in February of 2021. And that difference decreased a bit since then, but green hiring is still about 10% higher than other hiring as of December of 2022. And I think that ties to a bigger um, data insight on our platform, which is that what we've seen is the demand for talent with green skills is growing at 8%, while the supply of talent with green skills is growing at 6%. So that's really a call to action for our society to upskill more people across more occupations with their relevant green skills now. Upskilling people across occupation brings up the question of scale, as in how far across occupations will we ultimately go? LinkedIn's co-founder predicted that half of all jobs will be redefined by climate change. What do you think of that statement? Are you seeing evidence supporting it yet? And What needs to happen for it to become true? Well, we need to hope it will become true, and we are seeing evidence of it. Many of what we call the greening jobs from our list are related to infrastructure, construction, and buildings. These aren't new types of jobs, but they're jobs that now need to be done in a different, greener way. Why? Because workers in those job titles have to assess now the environmental impact of how they might site or build a project. They want to select more sustainable building materials. They want to operate buildings to use less energy, produce less waste, better conserve scarce resources like water. So that's just one example of what we're seeing happening, greening across many industries. Thanks, Peggy. So we've been flying at a pretty high level. Let's get closer to the ground and provide some guidance for the types of people and groups that you work with, namely companies that are hiring and job seekers. Let's start with the companies. For a company that needs to grow their ESG and sustainability teams, what's some practical advice that you'd offer? And what are some things that they should be thinking about today to craft the right role and find the best fitting talent? I have a few things to suggest, humbly, 
And of course, these have worked well for me in building our team in the tech industry. So with that caveat, first, I think it's helpful to establish a central team that's going to develop a strategy that's based on your specific business model. Because it's going to be different depending on the type of company you are and how you make money. For example, if you're Apple, you're going to want to focus primarily on your supply chain in terms of environmental impacts. If you're Pepsi, water's your most important issue. And then at LinkedIn and Microsoft in the tech industry, we're very focused on carbon because of our data centers. So you're going to need to address all the impact areas, but really with scarce resources and scarce time, focus on where you're going to have the biggest impact because of your business model. Set science-based targets and build a roadmap to 2030 if you can, not 2040, not 2050. That's going to be too late. And then the second big picture thing I would suggest is spread sustainability across your company. We have a small central team, but we are embedding a sustainability champion across each of the business groups so that they can move their teams to make the green decisions that are relevant for them in finance, in product design, in manufacturing, in our supplier group. Really, environmental sustainability at the end has to become everybody's responsibility in the company, and they need to have that front of mind. And you don't have to go it alone. So many more companies are jumping on board now. You talk to your peers. Next quarter, LinkedIn will be launching a new sustainability resource for companies and professionals who aren't sure where to start. So keep an eye out. I'll share more on my LinkedIn page. Fantastic. Ellen, what about from your view, especially for companies that are looking to recruit and and hire new talent? What should they be thinking about both to craft the right role, find the best fitting talent and ensure that their teams are set up for success? To piggyback on what Peggy had shared about embedding, we do see not just the standalone sustainability function, but we are filling sustainability roles throughout the business, not just in the sustainability function. So there is that specialization. And the chief sustainability officer has a role in not just filling out for their team, but embedding it in the business. And I agree also with what Peggy said about sustainability is everybody's job. And there are certainly companies that are working towards that goal. In terms of advice specifically for hiring managers, specifically around, there are three pieces of advice. One is around benchmarking. So that is look at companies that are similar sizes, similar industries to get a sense of what their team structure is. And number two is around I call it multi-factor balancing. So it's like consider the right balance of internal hires versus external hires or specialists versus generalists or influencers versus individual contributors. So in many ways, it's a a multi-factor balancing act that is part of that hiring, those hiring decisions. And then also there's a needs assessment or working with either a consulting firm or internally on a materiality assessment or um, risk assessment to determine what needs are most essential. Fantastic. Let's now turn to advice for job seekers. There's many people looking for work in the climate space, either because they're just beginning their careers lost their job, or simply feel urgency to work on what I'd argue is both the greatest challenge and opportunity of a lifetime. So 
what advice would you offer people looking for work in climate? Peggy, let's start with you. Surely there's no shortage of LinkedIn best practices that you can point to, but I'd also love to hear what stands out as most important specifically for climate job seekers. Yeah, thank you. I have this opportunity often. I'm, you know, I have such a great deal of outreach from young professionals, especially that really want to make sure that their job includes some kind of a focus on climate action and improvement. So here are some of the things I, I share. One is, you know, start with building out a basic level of competency, knowledge, and skills in sustainability. There are so many ways to do that. University courses and degrees, LinkedIn learning courses, lots of other offline and online resources. But you need to understand the fundamentals of climate change, the different impact areas, what are the you know solutions, etc. But then beyond that, really, there's it's such a broad range of opportunities. There's room for everybody. So second thing is, what is your superpower? Where are you going to engage in this climate activity? Are you going to be the MBA building the business case, you know, managing a portfolio of different investments? Are you going to apply your science background to help with the reporting or to help build solutions or you know, equally important, are you going to be the person that's a very good communicator and you're going to tell the stories and change people's minds and hearts and get more people on board? So that's one thing. I think two key skills to build and to to be able to demonstrate success in that are core to this job. One is being a change maker. And the second is being a relationship and partnership manager, because you're going to find wherever you end up in the organization that you'll have less authority, less budget, less people than you need. And so you have to be able to, you know, identify the most strategic win-wins that can, you know, move you and the people you're trying to collaborate with along and, um, you know, be an authentic partner And then I would say, and you can do that with volunteer work, nonprofits, community groups. You can subscribe to the Green Biz newsletters, participate in free events. There's so many ways to build out your experience. There is one tool that we launched on LinkedIn in April last year called the Green Jobs Collection. It should serve up a collection of jobs in um, green work in your geography. And then just good luck. I think that the data I've shared has shown that there's growing opportunity and we need everybody to get on board. Peggy, I would like to rewind just for a second because you mentioned one of the capabilities that you think is important for these uh, growing climate jobs is being a change maker. And that's a term that's used in lots of different ways. So I'd love to just hear how you intended it and particularly for jobs either with existing traditional companies or, or for new companies entering the space. Right. I mean, by definition, if you have a sustainability role, you are asking people within your organization to change, to move away from business as usual, and to set different goals to include sustainability as a priority when they're making decisions, to change the way you measure success in the company, 
you know, you, you kind of have it compelling you from both directions. One is from, you know, the external players that provide information about what are best practices, what should your organization be doing. And then you have to turn around and kind of find ways to implement that and evolve your company and enable the company itself and then the individuals in their roles to transform so that one of their priorities now becomes taking climate action. And that's hard. That's very hard. And you have to do that through a combination of building authentic relationships where you show the stakeholders, you understand the challenges that you're presenting to them, but there can be wins for them as well. And then you have to be able to communicate that up to senior leadership so that they change policies, change compensation systems, change the way they talk about their brand. It's all about change. Thank you, Peggy. I love that you're highlighting how sustainability roles are really about transforming organizations and how hard that is. I've seen this personally. It's, it's central to the work I was helping lead and am now advising at IDEO, focusing on the, the need for organizational change amidst the climate era. And it's very much what my new role at NationSwell is all about, recognizing how sustainability and climate leaders have so much on their shoulders without a playbook and often without community and the support they need. So your points really resonate deeply with me. Ellen, let's come back to you. For the types of roles that you're filling, what advice do you have for job seekers? How should they dial up their qualifications and also increase their chance of getting noticed by recruiters? Yes, I think there's three pieces of advice. One is to network, network, network. That Maybe that's all three of them. But anyway, that's the, that's the biggest one is attend conferences, engage in social media. Number one is network. Number two is education. So upskilling. That means taking more courses or degrees, find opportunities to learn. And then the third is around building your personal brand. So when I had shared about social media. The other is what can you do to demonstrate your knowledge? And can you write, start your own blog or write about it? But what can you do to build your brand in the area that you're seeking? Thank you, Ellen. Network, network, network. Learn and get visible in the circles where you want to work. All great advice. So we've talked a bit about how this market has evolved. We've talked a bit about where it's at today. Let's look to the future and hear what you see for this year and beyond. How do you think the climate job market will change in the months and years ahead? And give us a sense of what you think will be driving that change. Peggy, will you kick us off? Sure. I think in the same way that all jobs or most jobs are becoming increasingly digital, more jobs are going to become increasingly green. And people are going to need to build more green skills. And we've talked about that quite a bit on this session today. What I hope we will see is more programs that can upskill workers and job seekers on green skills, including in the non-traditional roles, you know, the everyday roles that are greening. Just to tag on to what Ellen said, first of all, I salute her for calling out the need for more diversity because really that will improve so much the way that we tackle these problems when we have everybody involved in finding the solutions. But then also the networking. And one data insight we found on LinkedIn, which is pretty encouraging, is that the most useful 
networking is with your weak network. It's not with your direct relationships. It's with like second degree and third degree removed. And those people, if you connect with them, they can connect you with their network and it can be very powerful. So there we go, a real insider tip, and it really offers strong encouragement to be bold and reach out expansively on LinkedIn. And I guess if that second or third connection is confused about why you're contacting them, clearly you can just tell them that LinkedIn has data that weak networks matter. All right, Ellen, what about you? What would you like to add? I agree with a lot of what Peggy said and that every job in the future will have more green in it. And so I'm just picturing green pastures and also that there's a significant growth in the financial sector in terms of ES jobs and that as the regulatory requirements are requiring companies to disclose more information, there are a lot of jobs that are coming on that. And then finally, a third point that we really didn't touch on much, but Sustainability leaders are reporting a lot to boards and corporate boards. And so that's a skill that I'm seeing. Sustainability leaders who want to sit on boards and also sustainability leaders who are reporting to their boards. And so that's another opportunity to upskill. Ellen, you bring up a really great point about the role of ESG and boards, which perhaps should be a future episode. Boards really didn't have to think about ESG issues in the past, and now boards are spending a lot of time talking about ESG risks and efforts, and it's requiring new skills and knowledge, not just for leaders and executives, but for the board members themselves too. Ellen, Peggy, thank you so much for being here today, for all your insights, and for all the work you're doing to help more people work on climate. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. This was wonderful. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.